0: This is Artistic Intelligence, where we explore the intersection of art, sustainability, and technology. This show is brought to you in partnership with the United Nations ITU AI for Good, Changing the Story podcast, and State. Now let's join your co-hosts, Neil Sohota and Michael Ashley. Hey,
1: welcome to another episode of Artistic Intelligence we got a fantastic guest today, Maiella Clark. She is an Australian conductor, multi-instrument artist, and artificial intelligence strategist based in Helsinki, Finland. Her artistic practice uses data, algorithms, and AI to create compositions, sound, and sonic art that can also be used in live performance. Participation and Inclusion of the Audience and Non-Skilled Musicians and Collaboration with Skilled Musicians is a feature of her work seeking to blur the lines between performer, composer, and audience. Mayela, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you very much.
2: Thank you for being here, Mayela. Uh, for our listeners, would you tell us a little bit about your story and your background and how you became to be the artist that you are?
0: Well, it, it started off as a pretty traditional childhood learning instruments. My my mother was an opera singer, so I didn't get out of it too easily. And uh, I started with piano and I went through different instruments of clarinet, pian- violin, viola, oboe, flute. And I guess uh, as I became a teenager, I, I, sta- I started to realise I really love the orchestra. It's, it's my thing. And so I started to pursue conducting studies. Um, basically, a long story short, I couldn't find very much job—a a, a very, uh, I, I guess, a stable job as a musician—and I started to look at doing postgrad work. And my my life just led me to Finland, and uh, basically, there was—it just turned out that when I came to Finland, I, there, there was a mix-up. Um, I was this musician, and they had put me at the Finnish Forest Research Institute to to do my internship. And I had no background in forestry whatsoever. But long story short, it meant that um, I had to go back to university because in that time I met my husband, and uh, I, I had to go back to university and to stay here. And I did a Master's of Science, and that's really how I entered the Profession of consulting with a, a focus on climate change and forestry. So then I was working um, quite in quite many countries around Asia and Africa looking at how to reduce emissions from deforestation food security issues biodiversity issues and I had a had a, a career in that but uh, when I, I in recent years I was thinking look this digital transformation this is this is amazing what we can do and um I think I, I really wanted to do that career pivot. And I did. And I realized uh, as I was doing that career pivot, but I need to be I need to be creative as well. And it just led me to start experimenting with uh data because I was working in a company, I still am working in a wonderful company called Dine Studios. Um, you know, we, we focus on data and AI, and of course, your typical assignment is Maybe it's marketing or maybe it's human resource related or maybe it's uh, maybe solving a problem for industry with artificial intelligence. But I, you know, in my spare time, I started playing around with all these new skills I'd learned. And uh, that's how I started thinking, we could do something with music and art with these new technologies. And I guess I, it was that experimentalism that where, where I started, you know what, I, I don't care if I'm a composer or not, um, I'm, uh, I, can, I can just produce this stuff and I just try different techniques. So that's how it kind of led into this data sonifications and, and uh, these uh, artificial intelligence artworks. And then, of course, you, you, know, you develop them as you experiment further. So, yeah, that's, that's the, the, the long story, I guess, in a, <laughs> a few minutes
1: yeah that's uh that's interesting so you combined a lot of different things yeah. together and it sounds like uh you've tapped into ai for 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 business stuff but also for art i'm kind of curious because you you're doing something like this the sonic art and you get like a very participatory across the board type of uh you know performances how did this come to be and what what is it like like can you describe it for our audience
0: Yes, I can. So I guess um, at first, I I just thought with the sonic art, I was taking the sound art and sonic arts module at the university just to open my mind. I was interested in it. And um, I I started thinking, all right, you know, I'm working with data. What would data sound like? I mean, we hear, uh, you know, I saw some really impressive data visualizations, but I looked at everybody around me and it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool, but it doesn't make you feel anything. And then I, I, I started this conversation with my colleague. When do you feel data? And he goes, well, he gave me the example of a Geiger meter. And he said, well, I, all I know is that if I was walking around a, a, a radioactive site, I'd want that, that particular sonification to work. Basically, he, his point was that we do use sonification in data, It's actually used to alert us. And that's when I thought, well, that's what's really missing in all these amazing climate change data visualisations. We're not alerted by them, even though their message should be certainly alarming. We're facing an existential threat. And uh, yet it's always delivered with such silence or, uh, you, you know, you don't feel anything from it. So I guess I set out this task what would what would it sound like i mean the, the possibilities are endless but it means that Um, you you want to you want to draw attention with sound to the data visualization so I started experimenting with um, you know snow depth data in different sites from Finland saying well you know I'll just do the basic you know as the snow depth goes up the pitch can go up and I have a series of these um, compositions marimba in the snow and it's based on the locations from different data so you know that's on SoundCloud but of course you know when we talk about you know, how do we involve people in this? So now we have a data visualisation and you can see the snow depth data change over the snow season in in that particular location. But what we can do with that data visualisation is give people instruments and say How does that data make you feel? Express it in the form of an instrument yourself. You don't need to, it can't be right or wrong. It's, it's, there's no right or wrong on this. So it's about actually taking it a step further and saying, all right, let's forget the traditional conventional music notation. Anyone can actually perform these data visualizations and participate in that sonic art.
2: It's so interesting to hear you say that because I was talking to somebody the other day, her company, uh, deals in big data, and she was saying how boring data is, or at least it was for her to communicate it. And so I grew up with uh, Star Trek, That uh, the next generation was was more of my time, and then we had data, right, on the show. And so I think when you, um, for the, the general audience, the mainstream, uh, when you bring up something like data, the natural tendency isn't to associate art with data. Uh, they seem to be very incongruent. But <clears throat> uh, I was wondering from you, how, would it, how is it possible to use something that may seem so clinical as, as data and then combine it with art to do something that's uh, emotionally affecting. How can data make that leap uh, in such a way that we feel emotionally connected to the art, especially the art that you're creating?
0: Yeah, I think that's the, I mean, first of all, that was the challenge I, I saw. I, I saw that, you know, you can have quite alarmist um, data visualizations. And as, as you say, you're right, they're very clinical. They're perfect. I mean, they're, they're made to be, you know, there's so many standards on what makes um, statistic visualization, you know, appropriate. Of course, we always give it in, in this scientific context. And in science, you know, we're always worried about our credibility. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about, well, if, if you put the words, uh, that's an emotional scientist in the, in a, in the, in the same language, you're going to come up with, uh, people will be like, is that scientist credible? An emotional scientist. Uh, I think that in the field of science, um, it's, it, it, we try and think things. We, don't, we try not to feel things. And I think that's where there's a disconnect between science and society. And where art comes in, you see the artists, they're very similar to the scientists because they're both experimental in the the inception of, you know, you have science experiments and you have art, art experiments. And those art experiments usually lead to a, a work or a concept and, and you can take it further. But what you, you have in art that you don't have in science is that freedom um, of losing credibility just because, you know, you might explore an imagination imaginative um, thing or a, a concept outside of its normal bounds. And I think that's when you know we can we can start playing around with emotions there are certain there are certain for example uh musical tones that can make us feel things whether they be happy or sad and the composers have known about this for many centuries uh, and they 've used it to make us feel that way, um, and I think that you know as we progress with our our art form you know in in when we bring in data now we 've got a we 've got a new kind of aesthetic emerging it 's like what makes beautiful art when you use these tools of data and AI because I completely agree with your friend you, you know when you look at the uh, this art and with the data well it starts off usually in an excel spreadsheet or in a Jupyter notebook or a python you know or the cloud you know they're just numbers or they're letters they don't mean anything and yeah it's really boring can i just say like all of that data nobody cares about it it's it, it, it's what you do with that data that people care about so with you, when you have this artificial intelligence in your art, you do need the data. You can't bring it from nowhere. It might be an image. It might be a text. It might be numbers. And um, I think it has to have some kind of meaning. Where I, I find, you know, the, the data sonification process has meaning is that you're taking something and you're alerting people to the certain changes. So, for example, with the marimba in the snow series, it was based on the snow depth of last year, you hear that there's a, a sudden decline in pitch. And that sudden decline in pitch, when you explain it to the audience, that actually this decline in pitch is rapid snow melt. And what you're hearing is, is it shouldn't be like that. You know, if I'd done the sonification for 20 years ago with the same algorithms, you wouldn't have that rapid decline in pitch. And, and so I, I think that, you know, it's, first of all, you have to have meaning when you do this uh, data sonifications or data visualizations and to call it art it's not simply enough to just say all right here are the results i'm going to um i'm going to keep myself credible in fact that you've got to break beyond that and 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 really experiment
1: well i feel like you're actually pulling the earplugs out of my ears and i didn't realize i was actually wearing earplugs You know, I I actually remember being in Sydney probably three or four years ago and actually seeing a demonstration about the impact of uh, climate change with the waters rising and flooding around the world. And, like, visually, it was very spectacular. And now thinking back to it, I'm thinking, like, the silence was kind of deafening in that, you know, you hear the narrator talking about this stuff, but you, you don't, like, hear the sounds of, like, the flooding and the other things. And now that you're talking about, like, sonic art, I'm like, whoa, you know what, that would have made the experience a lot more powerful, maybe a lot more visceral, too, right? How, how can we, I guess, how can we don't really think about these things? You know, it doesn't seem intuitive. <laughs>
0: I think that you know there's there's a need to have a little uh, bit more participation from the society in the art making quite often so far our aesthetics in art have been very much focused on the performer the composer the artist and this has been either one person with digital technologies we see teams of people collaborations happening but i think we need to think bigger than that when it comes to this kind of art where you're wanting to make a statement and a, a meaningful statement about whether it be the Sustainable Development Goals, an environmental issue, it's you have to involve a lot of other people in the making of that art. And I think, for example, the idea—if I explain a, a, another artwork of mine called "Failure as a Service: Climate Change." And the idea of this particular art is, yes, you have this typical um, earth temperature anomalies evolve over the course of the last century and you see the 21st century really in the red, you know, we're having the hottest years on record. But it means, again, it doesn't really get to people. But if people, for example, start recording sounds of emissions and recording the sounds of impact... Uh, of climate change and uploading it and and it gets tagged as as this sound art, then they've actually participated in something that, you know, they're able to say, well, I was part of that big effort, a, a, a global effort to make this art. And I think that then, you know, they tell their friends about it and their friends go and listen to it. And you have the network effect in place, technically. And so I think what we're going to probably see is, is, uh, you know, art expand beyond the artist and and become, you know, not so egocentric in in, in (laughs) there can only be one right, but actually that everybody starts really being able to have the opportunity to participate in the making of that art. And I think that's going to come into our aesthetics as well.
2: So... Um, so far, we've been talking a lot about the technology aspect. We're talking about how this actually comes to fruition from, from a music standpoint. I want to back up and talk a little, bit, a little bit about you as an artist. It seems like the, the best artists out there really stand for something. They have a worldview and a vision. And um, I, clearly, you, are, you care very much about the environment. But I wonder, what is the vision? What do you stand for as an artist? And what do you want to share and communicate to the world?
0: Well, first of all, I think that um that there's i've got uh, i've got always this uh, love for the five p's um, I did a little bit of work with the u n back some years ago and we we were always you know the, these values of the five ps the ps are planet people prosperity, partnership, and peace. And I think that that is probably what I always look to as, you know, that's the ideal. You know, we want to be a prosperous place. We want to have um, people be able to enjoy the environment around them in a, in a socially safe uh, society. And so, um, you know, and we can only do that really in partnership and to have peace is the ideal. Um, For my own personal um, experience, for my own personal values, love of life is probably the core of what my art is about, what my call is about, is, you know, we, we, we should be able to love life and be able to bring that all of, you know, be able to share it with people. I think that, you know, to be, called, to be able to call yourself an artist because I had a lot of trouble doing this, you know, um, I felt like I'd given up on music and, and pursued a career in science and then come back to, to art again. And I, I found that transition between scientist and, and artist, I, I was like, oh, I feel like a fraud sometimes. And this imposter syndrome took over. And um, I guess, you know, it, it was like, what makes an artist? And you can make the most incredible pieces of artwork that people will discover probably when you're dead. But if you do not share that with anybody, then how can you say that you're an artist? I think that as an artist, if we want that title beside our, our our gravestone or beside our business cards or whatever, you have to be willing to share it. That means opening yourself up to a lot of criticism. But I think that, you know, being being willing to share your ideas, your concepts and your art and your processes is part of being an artist.
1: I think that's absolutely critical, and I think we tend to lose sight of some of that. I know that when we chatted earlier, we were talking about, like, sometimes science gets too hung up on methodology, right? <laughs> yes. So, I mean, it sounds like we all really need to be part artist, part scientist. Is that the balance? Yeah.
0: yeah. It's uh, it's like a, you know, it's, it's a tricky balance, because um, I think that there's the science the scientists they they fear artists sometimes so it's uh, first of all they want to make people feel something <laughs> not just think because thinking is important in art but you know when you go into the the, the science of uh, you know the, where, where we're going and we're talking about medical breakthroughs we're talking about biomedical engineering we're talking about really serious stuff and i guess at the end of the day Scientists, they want to experiment and they want to get results and they want to do something good with the world. But what really drives their results and what really drives their project? At the end of the day, being realistic, it's the same as artists, it's money. You you know, you've got to make a living. And I, I think that a lot of compromises start to happen after you've graduated university and you're in the career. You start, you start losing the, you know, what really made you want to be a scientist. So I think that a lot of the science that we see is definitely driven by money and profit. And I think that this is where the artists, um, they've, they've stayed a little bit stronger to their tune. They they're, they're kind, of, kind of even romanticise, which I don't like either, but they romanticise the poor artist. And, and if you know you're a poor artist, you're true to the core. Um, I think that that's where you have this extreme imbalance in terms of, you know, artists and science and being able to bring them together is when you can be able to create a a kind of level playing field where both can share ideas without this fear of being discredited. I think that when human beings, uh, when when they come together and they're very different, in different disciplines, they're, they're, fear, they're afraid of criticism and they're afraid of judgment or they just don't want to be judged negatively. We, we all want to be told we're doing a great job. And at the end of the day, it's uh, nobody wants to be told, like, your art is terrible, you know. But at the same time, that's an impact for an artist. It's like, well, my art was terrible, um, you know. It, it's uh, Maybe for that person, but maybe for another person it's not you know and and i think that that's uh being able to create that playing field where you, we don't say art is bad or art is good we shouldn't we shouldn't really judge it like that um the scientists on the other hand they're saying well that's a result or that's not a result and it's this spectrum of extremes that everything's black and everything's white and 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 um in in the field of science you know you can test your hypothesis you can test all right, did it work? You can see whether you've made a good result or not. A good result, what is a good result? An experiment could be a good result, and perhaps that is where the artists and the scientists can meet in in the experiment stage.
2: So for people that aren't as familiar with the work that you're doing right now, I wondered if you could talk to us about a few of the pieces that you're most proud of and walk us through the process and what they mean to you.
0: Okay, so I I guess the first piece that I was really, um, uh, when I started playing around with the tools for artificial intelligence, um, I I found OpenAI and they had this uh, new kind of experience where you could construct a piece of music based on adjusting a few parameters with um, artificial intelligence. And I started playing around with it. And I came up with this piece called Reinventing Tchaikovsky. Um, If you like, I can play a little bit for you. um, If I go to this uh, Reinventing Tchaikovsky and we can hear it now. that there but that is actually um uh, the the first piece I, I I made with this help of this algorithm musenet algorithm and I showed it to my friends and I was like oh, am I a composer am I a composer finally <laughs> I, I, my compositions to this point were oh look you know I can I, I can say I was very dis- discouraged at school like no no you shouldn't do composing you know that's not for you And I believed them, but then I was like, uh, 20 years later, oh my goodness, I can compose now. (laughs) And um, then, and, and I showed it to my friend and he's like, oh wow, that's really amazing. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it is. And then I showed it to a friend who was a musician and, and she was like, that's not composition. You, you, you're not a composer. And, <laughs> and I was like, I started thinking about it and I, I was like, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put composed by my, my, my yellow clerk here. I put created because I started to feel like a real fraud. I was like, if I use the word composer, I'm a hundred percent fraud using this artificial intelligence to compose music. And I was like, "Oh gosh, this is this is controversial stuff. The more I would share it around with people, they would say, "This is really cool." But um, then I would say, "Yeah, a machine did it um, I, I I had to make decisions for that machine, so it's, I had about twenty percent of the artistic input on something like that, and the machine had eighty percent input. But um, I think what it does is it reopens the debate on, uh, you know, is creativity replacing, um, being replaced with artificial intelligence? So I started playing around with this algorithm a little bit more. You know, you can do a lot of things with this algorithm and and I think that um, I I thought to myself, well, if I was a film composer, for example, and I had deadlines to make and I had to produce lots of things in a certain form, in a certain style, this might be my go-to tool. You know, it's it, it's certainly evolving in a, in a very, it makes composition process efficient. You have quite a bit of control over what you're what you're still generating. But at the same time, the machine is doing a lot of work for it. So that was my first experience. And I came out thinking, all right, I'm not a composer when I use this tool. I'm a creator of music and I feel like a fraud, <laughs> simply put. So then it was like all right what else can I do with artificial intelligence and it started getting me all right we've talked a little bit about the sound art and sonic art experiences where we're taking visual aspects of scientific data and where we're creating sound with them and I think that you know um, we've already discussed that so we won't go into that too much but then Um, I do have another example where we were able to start thinking about how can we use artificial intelligence as a tool to actually enhance our art as artists. And my first example of this is using an interface that we developed at Dyne Studios called Nama. And it was demoed at the Slush Festival last year, which is a, a festival for startups in Helsinki. And this is a computer vision API that uses um, an em- emotional um, recognition with the face so it, you know you come in and it will show you Um, when you stand in front of it, uh, whether you're 20% happy, 40% angry, and maybe 60% usual. (laughs) Well, it always, it should equal 100%. But um, it it does this um, recognition of facial emotions. And in addition to that, it uses explainable artificial intelligence. Um, Our data scientists took the the algorithms out of the black box and you can actually see how this particular api makes the, de- the decisions and how it arrives at that result where you're 20 percent happy and um i took this particular interface and i started playing around with it getting experimental again yeah and let's uh let's try this on a few things and um came up with this composition concept that's um, Been submitted. I don't know whether it will be performed, but it's called Facing Nama, and it's for two orchestras. And one orchestra actually has the in um, is using this as they're generating these facial emotional um, recognition. Results and the other orchestra is responding to the 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 the, the information that it's getting, uh, and and they play their music based on those emotional recognition results. And they've got certain instructions to to be able to play the music to reflect: is this happy? Um, is this something that should be fearful and angry? Because in music. Um, that's actually, we, we have certain ways to, pe- to, to make people feel um, excited in, in, in music. Uh, film composers do this all the time. You know, the, I think that, uh, you know, you can f- make suspense out of a simple dung, <laughs> you know, the way, the way it's played and, and, and the sound that's made. You can make people feel suspense. I think the most famous of this actually is Jaws music. Right. It's, uh, you don't know where it's going. And so I guess this is a, a new way to revisit music making is we're adding that um, interface in there that's that's already picking up the emotional cues on the face and then we're able to translate that into a live performance and so I think um, we, that is a that is um, I guess a composition and concept that you know I've got we're using now artificial intelligence as as part of the, the um, technology as part of the performance.
2: Can I ask a quick question, what is it, I'm not, I don't have a musical background, Um, because you were talking about the distinction between being a composer and then you said created by. Um, What does it mean to be a composer then, what is the distinction between the two please?
0: That is such a good question, um, because it changes for me. Sometimes I think, all right, uh, am I a composer or a creator of music? I went with this Facing Nama. It's a composition, and I would call myself a composer for that, because I've I've developed a concept from nothing, and I've actually been able to create uh, music based on that concept when it comes to when it, I guess when it comes to the composition, um, it, we look at the data input, and the data input for the reinventing Tchaikovsky is actually a MIDI. It's a, some 170 hours of virtuoso piano playing, um, being so that's the data, mm-hmm. and then that's then reinterpreted and rearranged through this MuseNet algorithm. And I think that that 's when you know you, you, now you are using this algorithm to, like a jigsaw puzzle, construct the music and and so yes you 're certainly having a creative role in it, but the composition process starts with a conception, and what are you putting into that conception? And uh, I think that's that's where your your role as a composer starts. So, with this facing Nama composition that I have, it's conceived. I'm using uh, rules and algorithms that that would define that um, composition process. And then the outcome is, is something that I cannot anticipate, actually. Um, It's not unusual where we have a discussion on, you know, are you a composer and are you a good composer? (laughs) Something I don't really ever like to say, are you a good composer or are you a bad composer? But there will be people that debate that. But if we go back to 100 years ago, you know, 1913, um, you know, there was a lot going on in Europe. And they had this uh, very famous series of concerts, and I guess one of them was the Scandal Concert in Vienna in 1913. And basically the the program was not finished. Uh, People walked out and and they were in such an emotional state of um, outrage because this is now when the composers have taken it too far and they're using a series of rules to define what the music um, comes from. And as we evolve through that that 20th century music, we see that algorithms play a lot of role and matrices play a lot of role in the construction of music and the composition process of music. But it always comes back to the concept And the concept is all you might be able to use a matrices or a set of rules, but those set of rules will then define, you know, your, your output. And and that's the, you know, you're, you're still using your thinking and you're still using your concept as the foundation for that performance or for that um, composition. So, we see, for example, Stockhausen use um, a lot of rules in his music and Xenarchus used IBM computers to generate his music. But at the end of the day, he would take that generated music and say, let's apply the, the concept of game theory and you get these compositions like strategy and dual for two orchestras and two conductors where they're competing against each other using the rules of game theory. And, and so basically he took that output from the computer and he, he um, notated it and then it, he even elevated it further into a, a very complex composition process that is a composer. But when we just say, all right, I'm pressing the button, um, here's a little bit of input and here's my output. Am I a composer? Well, I would say that depends. It depends what you do with it. If you just leave it like that clip, then the, the computer has generated it for you. And perhaps, you know, whether you're a composer or just a creator of sound, that would be up for debate. But if you take that further and bring it into a deeper concept where it has some meaning, then I think that's when you're able to say, all right, you're a composer, you, you're able to do something with that, that, that sound clip that you've generated.
1: That, that's actually interesting because, you know, when I was working with Alex the Kid, he you know, used IBM Watson to compose the song. Um, it ain't easy. And he actually did that, you know, Watson analyzed the sentiment analysis of what's going on in the world in terms of the news and stuff. But it's not like Watson necessarily wrote the music or anything like that for him, but he really was hesitant to call himself a composer. And I I thought that was interesting because we started chatting about it that, you know, Watson and AI, they're not really creative. They can't really imagine Right. it only teach, teach what we can commoditize. Right. And it's like, it's like, like filmmaking. Like every film, I think, falls into 12 archetypes. And so we were kind of having this debate about it. And he was still hesitant to call himself a composer. And I, and I didn't know if it was like an artist thing or if there was a feeling like, well, if I don't actually create the whole thing or there's a piece that's inspired or some chord to something that's done by a machine, I really can't lay credit to you know create that piece of art is that is that like a kind of sentiment right now or is it you know is there something i don't understand about the artist world i mean i I was i was a little surprised by that
0: yeah i think it comes to um i think that you know we've got a new technology a new way of making music and we haven't kind of had our full discussion on aesthetics yet you know, first of all, is that is that new way of making music, is that reflecting our society? I think we're still very much in the early stages of experimenting. And in that experimental process, it, we sometimes feel more like scientists. <laughs> 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 you know? um, I don't know whether you've seen, seen this, but there's, a, there, there's the brain opera. And uh, I think that they are—they—they they have these headsets on, and they're generating music—or well, I shouldn't say music. I mean, what's music? But they're generating um, sound and and um, a, 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 a performance. Let's call it a performance. They're generating performance based on their brainwaves, and um, I, I think that that's. Uh, for for you know is that a, a composition absolutely yes because you you're you're at the concept and i think that you know i think that's where the humans really come to collaborate with the machines very nicely is we've got so many concepts that we can explore in our art and of course you know your life is only so Short. Um, some people think it's long, but you know, in the in the history of the universe, a uh, hundred years is not a long time at all. So you know, you've got all of these great ideas to explore in your life, and you know, I think people quite often feel like they don't have enough time to to write it all out, to to make it happen, and and to propose it. And I think what artificial intelligence can do is play a role in um, you know we can we can shorten that timeline it takes for us to to produce our art, but of course play a major role as human beings in that conceptualization because you know a concept can happen like this uh uh-huh, i 've got a concept, or it could take actually a very long time to to develop so I think that um, yeah that, that you know that I think we 've got to have that discussion about you know, where do we draw the line? I don't know if there is a line, you know, why, why define a line? But I think it's still a, a very interesting discussion to have, like, all right, is that a composer or a creator of sound and music? Um, <laughs> or is it a scientist? I mean, who knows, in, in, in 20 to 80 years from now, maybe we don't have these job titles anymore. You know, we don't have this this way of creating things anymore. Who knows?
2: Actually, I want to jump on, on that. So we're talking about some very cutting-edge things, especially for a lot of people that are not as well-versed as you are in this, in this world. What do you think is coming maybe 10 years from now, 50 years from now, based on what you're dealing with, what you're working with right now? If you could make some predictions, what is it going to look like in terms of the music realm uh, based on these new technologies and the way that people are, are working with them?
0: Well, that's a good question. I mean, first of all, I kind of think... Well, <laughs> COVID—it's uh, taken. It's, COVID has taken a massive toll on the performance industry, events industry, arts and museums. So, let's assume that the, it, it gets back on its feet fairly soon, um, so that we can we can make sure artists do have a major role to play in our society. I think over the next few years, and perhaps even driven by COVID, we are going to be having that—that that, um, at least in in Western society, um, we're going to be having that discourse. What role do we want for arts to play? You see, a lot of these educational programs, you know, really enforce the the STEM, you know, science, technology, engineering, maths. And you know, there's a little bit of a movement to get the to, to move STEM to STEAM. You know, where you have mm. arts in there. Uh, we see we see a few lighthouses so to say with with being able to do that but um you know when when, it, when we compare the arts funding with the funding for science you can't you can't compare you, you know and even for artificial intelligence you know the the science just eclipses and and you know here and here you know so right. <laughs> arts and <laughs> science um and i think that you know we at the same time we need to have a discussion in our society. What role do we want arts to play? Because it plays a really important role in innovation, driving innovation, but also alerting and and having, uh, uh, being able to explore a spectrum of perspectives as a society It creates discussion. You know, we're not we're not discussing the latest scientific results from MIT, but we'll certainly have a lovely discussion over MIT, uh, MIT's brain opera, or you know city symphonies um it it, it's i think that so i think we've got to have that discussion in the next five urgently as soon as possible but um and i think that will arrive at that point where we want to see artists and scientists work together so what does that mean um, you know, I think that that really opens up a lot of possibilities when you have artists and scientists work together and they share these very different skill sets that they've, they've come up with. And you've got these evolving technologies like AR, VR, MR, and, and then society desperately wanting to have more from their artists. They want immersion. Uh, they, 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 they really want immersion. A question I quite often ask ourselves, however, is we've made um, the consumption of art very individualistic and personalised. So, for example, we see a lot of people with headphones on, mm. and that's uh, that's uh, you have silent discos in Europe. You know, where <laughs> you have people with these headphones in a ro- in a disco, and it's silent. They've got they're they're receiving that information through their heads and they're moving to it. Um, but it's it's a, an odd thing to see where in absolute silence people are really going at it as if they're in a disco it's uh, quite a, a paradox um i think that those technologies are going to play uh, a role and then this need for individualization because if we look at where artificial intelligence is going over the next uh, uh, you know five to ten years we're really going for targeted personalized customized experiences and and to and immersive experiences if we bring art into that so what does that mean Um, it means that you know we're we're going to be understanding what people like and that and that draws into our our discussion on aesthetics you know what what do people like what do people think is really beautiful and then being able to give that to them and and I think that you know artificial intelligence will help us tank our art and, and tailor it to, certain way, to a certain um, deliverable that can make people feel the way that they want to feel. And I think that that's where, you know, a lot of, at the moment, we see this, um, you know, brain waves being done in the art, this brain opera, and you see emotional recognition being done in, in, in computer vision that can, you know, make us respond to, like, we know how people are feeling. So we're able to then craft our art towards that. And um, I think that, you know, being able to understand a stronger depth of emotions and being able to to design the art for that will be a a place where artists and scientists are going to collaborate in the next um, 10 years. But I also think that we're going to be asking ourselves some pretty existential questions, over the environment and over how we want to live on our planet. And I think that when we ask ourselves those questions, we've got another reason and another calling to to make sure our art is heard and felt so that, you know, it gives the scientists a platform as well to be able to share their results and say, look, guys, we thought, you know, if you go back to those climate projections 30 years ago, and we look at what we have now, we have to update our our, um, projections. You know, we're we're on a much higher pathway than we we thought we were 30 years ago in terms of our emissions, you know, and maybe we find out in, in 10 years from now, we're on six degrees warming by 2100. I mean, that's that's a, a a very daunting reality. So what does this mean for the responsibility of scientists and artists? And the scientists, as we know, have this struggle with being able to get society to understand what this really means. I mean, as a scientist, being in that position, the number of times I've had to put my head on the table and think, oh, my goodness, it's like, can't you see? <laughs> and And it feels like you're hitting your head against the table. It's like you know why is there so much resistance but then when you take a step back you realize actually that not everybody is has a has a science degree to start with. Uh, they don't have advanced knowledge in, on science. So how can they how can they make sense of carbon dioxide um, parts per million in a graph that gives over time series? I mean, it's it's not to be condescending on the general public, not at all. But actually, just recognising it, that it's taken a lot of skill to actually develop that graph and to understand it. And I think that the role of the artist is to say, all right, well, artists are actually very intelligent people, but how can you translate that into um, the the type of um, form where it is digestible and understood by the rest of this society. Now, up until this point it's been the journalists' role to really try to get that through. They've failed. I'm sorry to say but, you know, we 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 are not changing rapidly enough given the urgency of climate change and biodiversity loss. So I think, you know, maybe there's going to be a new room for artists and innovators to be able to respond to that particular crisis. And I, I guess it, it's another area where I see artists and scientists coming together to to be able to help communicate the urgency.
1: Well, I think given everything that's going on, um, you're doing some fantastic work. And I think you really in the light, especially on climate change. And I, and I love the personification or the soundification, I should say, of data. Could you give us a sneak peek on what your next project is?
0: Okay, yes. So I'm here ready with my, my lovely instruments. So give me a, a little bit of a moment while I stand up and reposition the video. And the, I just want to talk a little bit about this. Um, this is a project by Google AI and AI for Social Good and NOAA in the States. I don't know if you've seen it, but they have some, I don't know, over a year of uh, hydrophone recordings in the Pacific Ocean, picking up whales, humpback whales singing. And when I saw this, I, I thought, oh, wow, this is so cool. I mean, it's a very elegant data visualisation. And what I'm going to do with this is I use this as a background to play. And um, what I'll do is I'll, I'll start improvising on instruments. And it's, a, I guess, whatever comes to my mind is is what, it, what we're able to come up with. It's just an experimental, see this as an experimental performance um, and that, you know, I have no music prepared. I haven't practised. It could be an absolute disaster. Let's hope it's not. Um, but uh, maybe just a minute of playing and I'll just uh, go to it now. It
1: there. Bravo, bravo.
0: It's just more making sounds and responding to what you're hearing on different instruments. And um, I'll just stop sharing my screen now.
1: Uh, stop sharing. Well, that, that was fantastic, Mayela. I've Gotta ask, you know, I think our audience would love to learn more about you, your your performance. Can we can't wait to see your next one. How can they stay in touch with you? Follow your latest developments. What's the best way to you know stay in touch with you?
0: Yeah, um oh well, I'm I'm a very open person, so I'm on Twitter, Instagram, um, linked, LinkedIn, LinkedIn. <laughs> you know, artists never want to say they're on LinkedIn. But, um, <laughs> Um, yeah, so, um, and uh, every now and then I will do these types of performances on, on, um, on, uh, based on these improvisations that accompany data visualizations. And yeah, I, I try and make a little bit more sound about them. But SoundCloud is also another space that I, I also so, um, will put up these types of performances.
1: Awesome. Well, we'll make sure all that information is in the show notes for our audience. Mariela, thank you so much for being on Artistic Intelligence. This has been absolutely phenomenal. Thank you. Mariela.
2: Hey, if you like today's show, please remember to hit the like button and leave a comment.
1: If you've been enjoying the Changing the Story podcast series, please subscribe and share it with your friends. Thank you.